got some pictures of it on your kids' wall at home. There's probably a dozen of them back there uh, in the kids' room. But that's where we're at this morning, and we're just reminded over and over as we think about the persecuted church, as we think about where we've been so far in Daniel, that faithful living leads to opposition. Yes, faithful living leads to opposition in this life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read the first nine verses together as it kind of sets the stage for what's going to happen in this great story. And as we go about this morning, if we would just have uh, this posture before the Lord of humility, inviting him to speak into our lives through a story that maybe uh, is familiar to us, that he would give us something personal and real for our life for today that empowers us to stand firm, that refocuses, reorients our lives on and around uh, our Savior. Daniel chapter 6. Let's read the first nine verses together, and I just want us to see at the beginning. Uh, Faithful living leads to opposition. Daniel chapter 6, 1 starts with this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Verse 4, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, Sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So for a little bit of setting, we're in the first three years of the Medes and the Persians rule. What once was Babylon has now been conquered by the Medes and the Persians. This is King Darius. Uh, Some people think Darius was a governor under the rule of Cyrus the Great. Some think that Darius was, in fact, Cyrus the Great. Uh, Regardless, we're looking at about 537 to 539 B.C., about 60 to 65 years after Daniel was first exiled. Again, his entire life here is spent in exile. We understand from some of the historical documents that when Cyrus, when Darius came in, they broke up the kingdom into about 20 to 29 different regions. There's inscriptions that describe this division on a number of different artifacts. Uh, and then so we understand that these 120 rulers are uh, governors, so to speak. And it's a little unclear if they are just over Babylon or if it's truly the entire kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Either way, we have 120 governors set up and then three high officials over them, of which Daniel was one. And we see from the very beginning 
that when God wants a man or a woman of his in a position of influence, a position of power, God has no problem getting that person there. Daniel's barriers, Daniel's limitations, Daniel's age, Daniel's pedigree. Remember, he's an exile from Judah. He's not a Babylonian of royal lineage. He's not a Medes or a Persian. Right? He's an exile from Judah. And God has no problem taking this lowly person uh, beyond what would have been considered a relevant age and exalting him to almost the top in the kingdom. Remember, we're reminded, God wants us to have influence. God can put us in a position of influence, and he actually doesn't need a whole lot of help doing that. And I mention that simply because there is precedence in Scripture uh, for it being a good thing to desire there is precedence in Scripture for it being a good thing to desire influence. And many of us want influence. We want a promotion at work, or we want things to go well. We want some sort of platform, and we at least we say, or we verbalize, if this happened, imagine what great things I could do for the Lord. Imagine the testimony it would have if this occurred, if the Lord gave me influence. Maybe you read the prayer of Jabez book, and you prayed over and over and over, Lord, expand my territory, believing that if the Lord just expanded your territory a little bit more, your influence would be exponentially greater. There is a pattern in Scripture that a healthy appetite for influence is a good thing. And I say healthy because I think if we're honest and we search our own hearts and ask the Lord to do that for us, we'll discover that often our desire for more is simply a desire to be validated, to be affirmed by our own fame, for our own fortune, for our own recognition. It's why we tend to pray, Lord, fix everything. Lord, bless everyone. Lord, heal everyone. In contrast to how we see Jesus in the garden, right? He says, but not my will be done, Father, but yours. Not my will be done, Father, but yours. Now we see God make a move, right? God positions Daniel in a specific spot, in a specific kingdom, for a specific time, for a specific purpose, and we know that when God is active, the enemy pounces, right? When God is active, the enemy pounces, and you can see this in your own life as you look back at different seasons where God has called you into something, something that was a significant work of his, there's more opposition, right? Think about creation. Creation is beautiful. Creation is what God created, and he called it good. What do we see in Genesis 3? The enemy comes in the form of a serpent, attacks God's creation, comes at God's creation. God makes a move, the enemy counters. When Jesus is walking the earth, and his earthly history is happening, what do we see? We see a book of Luke, Luke 22, date, Luke 22, 3, Luke 22, 3. Jesus enters into Judas, and Judas betrays Jesus. When the father makes a move, we see the enemy Jesus is preparing to come back, right? He's preparing to come back for all of us. And we understand in Daniel 8 that the Antichrist, as we spent a significant amount of time talking about the last few weeks, is going to be have a power that is not his own. We're going to understand that through the power of the enemy, the power of Satan working in and through him. And so just simply I want us to see that there is a pattern from beginning to end in Scripture where, where and when God is moving and active, the enemy is also there trying to resist the Lord's work, trying to crush God's people. Here's some other things we read about in the Word of God that help us understand that faithful living will lead to opposition. 
1 Peter 5.8 is a verse maybe some of you have memorized. In 1 Peter 5.8, we see that we have an enemy that doesn't just like to toy with us, doesn't just like to delay our progress. We have an enemy who desires and is actively trying to crush us. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded and be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to devour. Are you aware that you are in a spiritual battle? If you're following the Lord, you're in a spiritual battle. Are you aware of that battle? Do you have weapons for that battle? Are you thoughtful, cognizant that that is happening every day? When you work out, you want to feel... Feel the burn, right? You want to feel your muscles being exhausted, feeling tired. If you don't feel some sort of burn, you're probably not working out very hard. It's because you're not aware of the battle. Probably because you're not making very much spiritual progress. How about John 15? In John 15, we see that not just we have an enemy who desires to crush us, but that because we've aligned against him, because we've aligned with the Lord, we're swimming upstream. John 15, verse 19. For if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I have chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If we're following Christ, it should feel like we're swimming upstream. If it doesn't feel like we're swimming swimming upstream, it might be because we're going with the current. Does it feel like your life, is there a tension there, a struggle there? Does it feel like you're swimming upstream? Does it feel like you're constantly moving in a direction that is maybe hostile to the faith or hostile to you, you living out faithfully? If we're following Christ, it should feel like we're swimming as it relates to persecution, as it relates to faithful living leading to opposition, we see that Daniel's counterparts, the other leaders, are jealous of the elevated position that the Lord has led him to. In Acts 5, 17 and 18, we see kind of a similar thing. These are the apostles and their preaching. It says, the priests rose up and all who were with them, and they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public prison. Before uh, they're rescued in the middle of the night, we see a pattern where God is at work and God does a significant movement in his people. You should expect that those around you aren't going to like it. You should expect opposition from those around you. Unfortunately, sometimes we even do it within the church and in the family. Isaiah 53, sometimes when we talk about difficulties with following the Lord, we think that's not what I signed up for. I signed up for red carpet. I signed up for caviar. I signed up for the whole works. I do expect that God's going to bless everything that I do and nothing that I do is going to fail or not work out. My health is going to be perfect. And if there's ever a little blip on the health radar, God's going to clean that up real nice and quickly. Since no one in here has that life, we, we can laugh at it together. Remember Jesus, Isaiah 53, 5, says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, 
signed up for intro to strength and conditioning thinking that's going to be an easy hour, an easy eight, and maybe I can work out as well, you were in for a huge surprise. I had a friend that couldn't walk back from the gym to our dorm room, and I found him laying on his back one morning on the sidewalk as everyone walked towards chapel. If you signed up for that thinking it was going to be an easy go, you had a big surprise coming, and you would be in great shape. It would be good for you, but it wasn't easy. Sometimes as we follow the Lord, we, we have this mindset that we think, you know, this is my path to easy, smooth, straight. It's going to be a snow plow and go before me and clear away all the hazards. And we're inviting other people to consider Jesus. They know and believe what he could do in their lives. We say, come on, follow Jesus. Everything's going to be better. Everything's going to change. All the difficulty is going to go away. He can fix all of this. And he can. That's so incredible about Jesus. He can fix all of these things. But as we understand the enemy's opposition to the Lord's and the enemy's power in this world, in this life, we have a clear sense in Scripture that from cover to cover, faithful living leads to opposition. Faithful living leads to opposition. And as we're reminded to be anticipating, to be looking towards that, to understand that it's coming, that when it comes, we get prepared. The second point today is, is simply faithful living is marked by little choices that have a big impact. Faithful living is marked by little choices that have a big impact. Verses 10 through 18 in Daniel 6 speak to this. Let me just share, I'll read verse 10. This is Daniel's response to King signs an unjust law as the king signs an unfair law king doesn't know it, but it will target Daniel specifically, right? He's being targeted in this law. Daniel, fully aware of what the king has done, hears Daniel's response. Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, right? It's not an accident. What he's about to do is, is not, whoops, it's not, oh, I didn't know, I'm sorry, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his palace where he had windows in his upper chamber. So this would have been a flat roof building with some sort of roof or some sort of room on top, probably pretty small. He went his, to his house where he had windows open in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This gives small glimpse, don't we, of the life and the character, the heartbeat, the passion, the affection of Daniel for God, that knowing this law, he doesn't go up to his room and close the door and, you know, it, I usually keep the window open, but uh, let's just close it today. That seems like a good thing to do. We see the rhythm that Daniel is in of worshiping the Lord, of wanting to spend time with the Lord, of wanting to talk with the Lord, of wanting to hear from the Lord, and we see in Daniel man who has been faithful with big opportunity before kings, big moment after big moment after big moment, and Daniel is found faithful. And I think we can see that little choices in Daniel's life have led to big things in his life. Little change, little choices in his life have led to big impact for the kingdom of God. 
reflecting on this, I, I can see in my own heart the desire for faithfulness in the big moments and the unwillingness to make the choices every day that lead to that. How many of us pray that God would give us victory over sin? Come on, Lord, you can do it. I believe you can. I trust that you can and do almost nothing to distance ourselves from every form of temptation. How many of us pray, Lord, give me boldness to speak to my coworkers. Give me boldness to show your love with my family members. Give me boldness to actually love my family members. And do almost nothing to orient our lives around him and instead our hearts being cultivated in him where we see someone and we love them what Christ does and not based on what we feel that they've done to us or what we might think about who they are, what they've done or what they did. David is someone that we look to and we say, wow, look at David's affection for the Lord. Look at the way that he loved the law of the Lord. Look at the way that he relates to God. That's what I want. If you read Psalms 119, I think you'll get to the first 24 verses before you find a verse that doesn't mention the Lord's name. I don't know how many verses there are in 119. It's a whole bunch of them. First 22 or 24 verses all mention the Lord's statutes, the Lord's commands, the Lord's precepts, the Lord's instructions, the Lord's words, the Lord's ways. And you see that David is just a man saturated by the word of God. For instance, little is it to make big impact. If you're someone who's looking at your own life and you're not seeing big impact, if you're someone who's looking at your own life and you're not seeing victories over these things, I would trust you a little bit from the life of Daniel to say, are you making some small decisions each day to align yourself with the Lord, to get yourself towards him, to choose away from certain things? Some of you have recovered from various forms of substance abuse, and I understand that every day now is a whole bunch of little decisions for really big impact. And so you seem to get that in the area of addiction that you can therefore get Little choices, big impact. Little choices lead to big hardship. The third point this morning is that faithful living takes us beyond ourselves. If you read verses 19 through 23 of Daniel 6, I think you understand the story. The king has signed this law. The king was tricked into doing it. And the governors come to him and say, oh, king, we're all in agreement. Do this, oh, great king. That might have made sense to him, right? They were absorbing countries absorbing absorbing these rural communities let's unify let's make sure that everyone is following you oh great king so he signs it daniel goes up and he prays anyway and we know that the rulers were hiding right it's like kids telling on each other they walk looking around the corner hiding in the shadows watching daniel oh look he prayed and they go running into the king and they say king remember this great law that you did by the way king you're so wonderful we love you you're the best ever. Uh, but by the way, this guy Daniel has rejected your instruction. This guy Daniel defied your commands. Or we see in the text that the king is provoking him about it. He understands what he's been duped. In verse 19 through 23, it records that Daniel has now been thrown into the lion's den. It is daybreak the next morning. The king runs to see if Daniel has been saved. Faithful living takes us beyond ourselves, starting in verse 19, chapter 6. Then at break of day, the king arose, and he went in haste to the den of lions. As 
as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. Because he had trusted in God. What do you think it was like for Daniel to be handcuffed and let from his place uh, to the palace of the lion's den? What do you think it was like for Daniel's friends? who may have been praying at an apartment nearby or across the street or kitty corner to see Daniel led out of his house to the palace and to the lion's den. What do you think it was like for others who had been faithful to Yahweh to see Daniel on the edge of the den before he is forced to walk in or before he is pushed down into it? Understanding that the Medes and the Persians had all sorts of cruel ways of uh, inflicting and enforcing judgment and punishment. These lions would have been in the pit, uh, starved, awaiting just this moment. Seemed to me that mostly undesirable. Seems to me that this is not where Daniel intended to end up. And what we're going to see from cover to cover in Scripture is that the end of us is the beginning of God. The end of our strength and the awareness that we can't fix our situation is the beginning of humility. It's the beginning of understanding of the fear of the Lord and of wisdom. What's interesting, too, is in verses 22 and 23, it says that Daniel was protected because he trusted in the Lord. And Daniel declares to the king, the Lord sent an angel to protect me because I was blameless before you and blameless before him. Now, at face value, it looks like Daniel did a good job. Daniel was righteous. He did his part, and God did his. Nice little story with a bow on top. Are, are we to take from that story that if we do our part, God will do his? If we read our Bible for four and a half minutes a day and we come to church two out of four Sundays, and if we maybe give a little bit and we're nice to people on the street, we let them pull in front of us uh, when they don't blink and, and pull anyway, and we just let that happen. We don't honk. We don't say anything. But if we do our part, God will do his. I think most characters uh, in the text, I think the apostles uh, for one, I think Jesus for another, uh, serve as good reminders that, that no, uh, the apostles virtually all died for their faith, right? Their faithfulness cost them their lives. They didn't bleed to the Lord sparing their lives. And so we have this uh, understanding throughout the book of Daniel that the Lord can save Daniel from lions. The Lord can save Daniel and his friends from fire. The Lord can give them favor with pagan, wicked kings who oppress them and want to silence and squelch and snuff out their faith uh, for the one true God. But God doesn't promise to rescue us from difficulties in this life. God doesn't promise to rescue us from difficulties in this life. But we don't obey God to get a get out of get a get out of jail card, do we? We don't obey God because it makes us feel good about ourselves. We obey God because He's rescued us from the pit of hell. We obey God because He's the one true God with with power over all, and He has the only hope, the only 
King Daniel is going to lead to the whole kingdom where God's power and God's kingdom goes. We had a, a few home repairs or home Things broke this week that needed to be fixed. And if you're poopy cold, they've been broken for a long time. Probably can't let it go any longer without uh, more damage happening. And, and so many of you uh, are never had people into your home to fix things. And many of you, when something breaks, you fix it. If you don't know how to fix it, you get on YouTube and you see a video and you learn how to fix it and then you fix it. I think that could be a choice for some never worked for me. So when something breaks, I, I have a decision to make. I can try to fix it, inevitably takes longer than calling someone, often more than call, calling someone, and, and leads to a lot of frustration, widespread uh, in our home. If I call someone, someone's going to walk in, they're going to fix it, it doesn't usually seem to take them all that long. Uh, and so it's just going to be a reminder to me of all the things that I need to fix. It's going to be a reminder to me of all of my shortcomings. And so in some cases, my pride keeps things broken. Because I don't want someone to come in and see and just be reminded, yeah, that's another thing you can't fix. It's another thing you can't fix. It's another thing you know nothing about. One in those things to get fixed really should mean more to me than the fact that I didn't know those things to get fixed really should mean more to me than the fact. And some days it does. Not every day. Not for the last five months with the leaky toilet. But some days. As we think about the glory of God, as we think about Daniel's life as a tool for magnification of the glory of God, God's glory should mean a lot more to us than what it God's glory should mean a lot more to us. That should be what we desire most, what we long for most. It should mean more than what it might cost us. Let's make no mistake, faithful living leads to opposition, and it will cost you something. You know, Ricky's got the parenting, the legacy parenting classes. It's going to be great for parents and sons of young kids and parents of middle-aged kids and grandparents. It's going to be useful to all, but you're trying to point your kids, your students to Jesus. You've got to prepare them. It's going to cost them something. You're going to talk to your daughters about modesty. You've got to prepare them, but, but it's going to cost them something. It's made fun of. You're going to help manage your kids' schedules. You're going to answer what you allow them to listen to or what you allow them to watch. It's going to cost them something. It's going to get made fun of at school. They're not going to know what people are talking about. And that's okay, but they've got to be prepared to have some sort of answer for it. going to believe what the Bible says, it's going to cost you something. Uh, your beliefs, your worldview, the way that you operate, the way that you make decisions is not really understood by most of the world and is not valued by most of the world. I mean, there's in theory, uneducated, it's going to cost you something. The moments that we are most aware that we are costing something, the moments that we are aware that we are tardy, the moments that we are most aware that we are sinning and sinning, the moments that we are most aware that we don't fit in should be indicators that God is at work, should be indicators that we're heading in the right direction. I want you to see what happens with the decree of the king uh, as faithful living takes Daniel way beyond himself. 
beyond his control. If we have circumstances that take our eyes off of the Lord towards the snake, onto our circumstances, onto ourselves, we then tend to drop the ball because we don't make good gods. We don't know the future, don't have power over it. So when we rely on ourselves, uh, we're putting an inferior substitute in place than the one true God by going with the eighth-string quarterback rather than the starting quarterback. And if we take our eyes off of the Lord, we make decisions based on that. We fall flat on our face, and the Lord can perform really incredible work because when we're beyond ourselves, we're aware of our helplessness and our powerlessness and our inability to get the job done and our failures and our repeated failures it's in that moment of toil and life when the lord's work gets us to the decree of the king verse 26 27 and 28 daniel comes up out of the lion's den they discover that he's unharmed they discover that god has been faithful as their governors that created the law are thrown in the text is clear that they don't even hit the ground and so if you have the the mindset of well there's a lot of different ways that daniel could have been spared from the circumstance that god could have just eaten they could have been full they could have been tired they could have been sleepy uh, the governors and the families are thrown in here so they don't even touch the ground and then the king decrees this the entire nation verse 26 he says, I make a decree that in my royal dominion, in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs, he works wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. wicked pagan king, polytheistic, many, 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 many gods, says, all of my kingdom will be worshipped with revere, it will stand in awe of, and in fear, Daniel's God, who rescues, who saves, who has the power to work signs, who has the power to work wonders. Is there a, a relationship in your life? Is there a sin that's got a stronghold in you right now where you're kind of giving up God's power to work signs and wonders? You believe that God can work signs and wonders in our country regardless of what happens in Tuesday's election. Regardless of who gets voted in, regardless of who gets voted out, God can work signs and wonders in our country. Do you believe that he's still working and wanting to work signs and wonders in your life? That in spite of your past, maybe you in some ways like Daniel feel like you're past your prime. Maybe you look at uh, the sin that is there now, the sin that was there, the consequences of it believe the enemy's lies that you are what you've done do you stop giving up do you do you stop believing that god can work signs and wonders that god's in the business of rescuing that god's in the business of saving that god can restore and save and rescue anyone any sibling any family member any parent any kid any grandkid you see god flex a little muscle here and just magnifies himself to the whole kingdom I want to look at two quick passages and then we'll wrap up where we see what God does when he shows his power. From Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 20, we see that God protects his people. When God shows his power, it's often to protect his people. Let me read 
from chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. As Moses has come down on Mount Sinai, they've seen thunder, they've seen lightning, they've heard the sound, they're trembling in fear, and Moses says to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. God has shown his power to test you. God has shown his power so that you would stand in awe of him, stand in reverence of him, so that you would worship him, and that as you do that, you would not sin, that it would keep you from the pain and the suffering and the dysfunction that he doesn't want for you, that it would make the gifts of the Lord acceptable to you. If you've done driver's ed, right, one of the points of driver's ed is to make you prepared for the road ahead, to make you prepared so you don't crash your car and and mess up and get in a wreck and hurt yourself and hurt other people, right? Driver's ed is a helpful tool to prepare you for what's coming. God shows us his power in some sort of miraculous way. It reminds us who we are. It it helps us to submit ourselves to him and to keep us from sin. It helps us to keep us from sin so that we might receive the blessings that he has for us and be used in the beautiful ways that he's intended us to be. How about Joshua 2 with Rahab the prostitute who helps the Israelites? If you read chapter 2, you'll see the Israelites coming into Jericho, getting ready to conquer that land. Spies come in. This uh, Rahab allows the spies to stay in her place to hide from the soldiers who are looking for them. When they're hiding, she comes into them and says, our people have heard of the power of God. We have heard what he has done for you and we fear lest we die. So we see that the power of God is often not just for ourselves, it's often for others too. And when God blesses his people, when God shows his power, when God does a redeeming, restoring, transforming work, secures his future for his people. Uh, God has made a provision for the people of Israel. God has made a provision in the promised land through word of his mighty deeds. He's made his will as ways. God's power secures his future for his people. Ultimately, we've got to do every act of rescue in the Old Testament parallel except it's a foreshadow for what Jesus is going to do next Uh, consider Daniel Daniel's up against the odds right he's up against a law that cannot be revoked Jesus is sentenced by the religious leaders by Rome Jesus is sentenced by the authorities of the land Daniel talks into the lion's den what seems like great victories for the enemy God's hand is blocked God's hand is done God's plans, God's purposes have failed. Jesus is on the cross, hanging there, dying. So every prophet versus his followers tells us his plans, his purposes have been defeated. Daniel comes up out of the lion's den, comes up out of the grave. The governors are thrown in, and a decree goes out that all the kingdom, essentially the known world, worships one man, God. Jesus comes up out of the grave. What happens? Hope for us. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you relate to Daniel in the lion's den needing to be rescued. Maybe you relate to Daniel in a position of prominence and trying to be a wise steward of that. Maybe you just feel targeted, oppressed in some way. We've seen oppression across the globe, and we know that it's more severe in some places than others, but that doesn't mean that at times we don't feel 
the Christian worldview is mocked and taken seriously in culture and the marketplace of ideas and beliefs. And this doesn't mean that God's people don't feel targeted and oppressed and oppressed here. If you're there, we've just got to remember we've got a God who's powerful over all. We've got a God who is the master of taking what seems to be a win for the enemy and creating a win for the kingdom. If you're in that spot this morning where things look like wins for the enemy all around you, consider what might just be ripe soil for a win for the kingdom. What might be a ripe soil for God's work in your life. Stand firm in faith. Little children with big hearts. Stand firm day after day after day and watch God work. Let's pray together. Lord, as we reflect on Daniel, we draw our attention to your son. saving, transforming, rescuing power. Lord, we confess that we are so quick to doubt, we are so quick to trust what we see and doubt this all-powerful creator. Lord, would you impress upon our hearts your power and your purposes that we might see our circumstances and our details and our relationships, Lord, as opportunities to go deeper with you. Lord, that rather than praying for beach or red carpets 